Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. I always say this is the most beautiful side of the year when women's retreat are front and center. Bless y'all. I'm so glad you guys had a great, great weekend. You know, I was uh, last week, uh, I was driving to Vermont to see my oldest son, John William. And before I went, I said, uh, you know, we, we've got to come up with a lot of things to do when you drive to Vermont. It takes about 30 hours. And so I went through and made an 80s country playlist that would carry us for a long time. And while I did this, I came across a song that I'd forgotten about by Shenandoah called Mama Knows. And as I was thinking about that song, I thought, you know, when I get back, it's going to be women's retreat. And this song, this song is for y'all. Blake, can we do it? We can do it. I'm totally unprepared.
We know why he wore his cowboy boots, right? <laughs> you know, 10 years ago, last Thursday, my mom passed away. And so the third line of that song, I wasn't there when mama passed away, uh, is, is real to me today. Um, but there's something about mama's dads don't get this, but mamas know. It's almost like they have this crazy intuitive sixth sense that they can, like the song says, look right in your soul. They've got a set of eyes on the back of their head. Mama just knows. She knows when, when we've done something wrong and we know when things have gone wrong. She just knows. Mama knows. But as I was thinking about that and thinking about y'all and talking, asking questions, trying to understand a female perspective, I came to realize that there are things mama doesn't know. And that's what I want to talk about today. We want to have fun with y'all and let you know mama knows. But more important than that, I wanted to be sure that you knew some things that you may not know. Here's something. Mama does not know if she is safe. Women don't know if they're safe anymore. And if there is a message that we've been slow to get as men, it's that women just don't feel safe. And truthfully, they haven't felt safe for a long time. And man, it's hard for me as a guy to understand that fear. Amy and I will be walking somewhere, and I'll go to walk a certain way, and she'll go, where are you going? And I'm like, well, that's the fastest way to the door. She's like, we are not going that way. And I'm like, why? And she said, there's shadows there. And she, she, here's what she's taught me. You don't know because you have the strength to defend yourself. You have to realize that against a man, most women feel powerless and it can be frightening. And she's right. I, I've had to deal with personal fear very little in my life, um, very few times. But there are a lot of women who face it every single day. And so Amy showed me this video. I wanted to show it to you. It takes just a second. And it really helped me to understand, men, maybe it'll help you, how women think because we don't think like they do. Watch this. Is that a person or an animal? I'll swing wide. Headphones are coming out. I need to hear everything. Is he following me? Or are those my own footsteps? Should I smile and wait? Pick up the pace. I'll do both. Look strong. No, I'll avoid it. I should cross the road. There are more lights over there. Follow your shadow in the light. Pick up the pace. Look for shadows that don't belong. Did I remember to send passing this hiker on the trail? I'll mention my husband. Pick up the pace. Look strong. He doesn't ask. If I scream, will anyone around me? Put the keys between my knuckles. I should stop and put my hair in a bun. Why is that car slowing down? Here come people. Pick up the pace. Look strong. Is there a house you're getting lost in thought? Stay away. Knock on their door if I have to. Oh, there's a tunnel up ahead. That's no go. Let's reroute. Maybe I should turn back. Maybe I should keep going. Look strong. You're strong. Men, you don't think like that, do you? 
Very rarely do we think like that. They think like that all the time. Now you add to that a bad experience. Maybe she was assaulted. Maybe she was abused. Maybe something happened in her life. And now she never feels safe again. You know, I read that one in four women in America will be sexually assaulted or abused before they reach maturity. One in four. And I think about the kind of world that we have created where a little girl, like my little granddaughter Garnet, uh, is, it grows up living with a sense of fear. And then once that happens, man, there's so much anger that you weren't able to protect yourself. There's so much frustration and rage that kind of goes along with it. And then there is the question that begins to sink in that maybe some of it was my fault. Maybe I somehow caused it. And this false sense of guilt. How do you ever know if you're going to be safe again? Because mama doesn't know. And one of the things, and I don't hear any details because of the confidentiality of retreat ministry, but one of the things I hear a lot is there's a lot of sexual abuse and assault. And how do we feel safe in that? Where do we find safety? Um, You know, David knew fear, real fear. Um, We like to talk about the good things of David. What do we know about David? Well, he defeated Goliath, right? David and Goliath, you know that story. Everybody knows that story. And David was anointed king. Maybe you know that part. And David ultimately became the king of Israel in the glory years of Israel. And David was the one listed by God to be the one through whom the descendant Jesus would be born. And he's called the son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We know all that part. But what you may not know is that from the time David killed Goliath, and celebrating the glory of that moment until he was hunted and hounded by a king that was mad as a hatter was all of one chapter in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel chapter 1 talks about David defeating Goliath and, and then by chapter 19, going all the way down through chapter 30, David is on the run from this crazy maniacal king who throwing spears at him wants to kill him. And let me just say, during that time, David did not know if his situation would ever change. And that for the rest of his life, as far as he knew it, he was going to be hunted and eventually killed by that king. He knew what real fear was. In fact, he started to run and he, he, he ran to caves, he ran to friends. At one point, he even ran to the enemy. Did you know this? That David was so mad with fear that he ran to the hometown of Goliath. And he's in the hometown of Goliath and everybody looks around going, wait a minute, we know this guy. This is the guy that killed Goliath. And David begins to act like, a, like an insane person slobbering at the mouth and barking like a dog just to try to get himself out of that situation. But that's how, that's how insane he was with fear. And yet through all of that, God began to teach him. Psalm 61, the words of David, Oh God, listen to my cry, hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety. Now, look, underline this part. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. And then there's that beautiful Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the sun should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. 
God is my refuge and my strength. You know, when Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, began to speak out against some of the, the dogma and traditions of the church, and in those dark ages of the Middle Ages, um, you know, obviously all dissent was met with the same response. They wanted to burn him at the stake. But some people helped Luther and spirited him away to a castle fortress called Wartburg. And while he was in that castle fortress, he read Psalm 46. And from that, he penned a hymn that we still sing in churches today. The hymn goes like this, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And those of you who've never known what it feels like to feel safe, you need to realize there's safety there. Jesus was so much more succinct. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And there's this repeated phrase that Jesus often would say, Don't be afraid any longer, only believe. Don't be afraid any longer, only believe. And I would say that to you mamas who don't know what it feels like to feel safe. Don't be afraid any longer, only believe. And tell someone your struggle. Let someone else get involved, someone you trust. Don't continue to hate yourself for something that someone else did to you. And if you're in an unsafe situation, get safe. Tell us. We'll help. You don't have to live in fear. And and I don't know if you knew that, but that's something you need to know. You don't have to carry the shame. You don't have to feel that anger. Because God is our refuge and strength, and the church becomes the instrument of God for that. And and that's one of the beautiful things about retreat ministry that's also true about life groups and true about this place, is this is a safe place. You can be safe. Here's another thing mamas don't know. Mama doesn't know if she's enough. So many women feel inadequate. I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad daughter. I'm a, I'm a bad wife. I'm a bad person. You know, there's that great scene in uh, Tangled with Rapunzel. You know, you know the scene? She finally gets out of the tower, and she's like, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And she's swinging and jumping and dancing around, and then the next thing, she's belly to the ground. Uh, I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible daughter. I'm a terrible human being. You know, that's the way so many people, women in particular, feel. They struggle with that. And I I think the struggle comes through comparison. Um, And I don't mean to overgeneralize, but women seem to compare themselves with other women. I grew up in an all-guy home, right? I was the youngest of three boys. We were each one year apart, so we were sophomore, junior, senior. Can you imagine my poor mom? I mean, that we fought about everything. So when I got married, Amy grew up in this wonderful little home with two sisters and a caring and a, a compassionate father. Uh, you know, the favorite thing in my house was suck it up, you know. And so I had a lot to learn about women. I basically knew nothing at all. They were a complete mystery to me. And like every man, I assumed that I knew everything. And Amy had to teach me, literally, it was like taking a, a, an imbecile small child and teaching him every little thing about life. I mean, I knew nothing. But for example, I thought when we got married that I would have some say over where you hang pictures in a house. <laughs> I had no idea that I knew nothing about that. And turns out she was 100% right. She had to teach me that. I, I, another revelation was that people care about what other people wear. I mean, for me, clothes were 
something to keep you warm or keep you covered up. And it really didn't matter. And Amy would say, are you going out dressed like that? And I would say, what's wrong? I mean, I've got a little stripe here in my pants that matches a stripe in my hat. <laughs> and she was like, you are not going out like that. And I'm like, well, so what, what do you care? And she, here's what she taught me. She said this, you're not going out like that because how you look reflects on me. And she says, people look at you and they think I approved that. <laughs> That's what she said. I got out this morning before she woke up. So if this is not good, she had nothing to do with it. Okay, I'm just saying. But one thing I realized in the process of that was women dress for women. I always thought women dress for men. And, and some do, and you do a little bit, but mostly it's for women because you're constantly in this battle of comparison and competition, and, and that can be a real thing. Obviously, men compete too, but it feels different to me. And I don't know if any of this is true, and it may be a grotesque overstatement, but at times it seems true that when men compete, it seems that it pulls them together. Because when men compete, they tend to coalesce into teams, and those teams tend to create a camaraderie, and that camaraderie of, 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 of the team begins to pull them together. But the competition that women seem to get tangled up in is more individualistic and, and personal and isolating. And it's, they don't feel the camaraderie of the team because their competition is within themselves and that, that cuts them off. You know, one of the common things I often hear women say is, I don't have any friends in the world. I hear that a lot. And it's a struggle because... You add social media to that comparative thing, and she has this completely unachievable standard, and it makes her feel inadequate, and it makes her feel like a failure. I've got a friend, Matt Barnhill. Y'all remember Matt, you marriage retreat people? Matt's a counselor in Houston. And Matt said that the fear of failure is worse than failure. And so that when we fear failure, what we'll often do is we'll just go ahead and fail to get the failure out of the way. And that's why you'll see people do crazy things because the fear of failure was so much in them. That, and, and here's one way it works out. When you show up at some, someone's house, at a woman's home, and she hasn't had time to prepare the home for you, and you just sort of knock on the door and show up, she's going to, hey, I need to talk. Oh, well, come on in. Um, and she's totally cognizant of the way her house looks. And so what is the first thing she says when you walk in? Don't mind the mess. Don't mind the mess. And what she's doing is she's so afraid of the comparison that you're about to give to her that she's fearing failure. And so it's easier to go ahead and fail. And so let's just go ahead and fail and admit I'm a terrible homemaker and don't mind the mess. My house is messy, okay? It's messy. <laughs> and what she's done is all of that comparative competition is in play there and she feels like a failure even though everybody lives in a messy home and we only clean it up when we know people are coming that's what closets are for so let me teach you mamas what you may not know you're enough you don't have to do anything else to be enough and you don't have to look a certain way to be enough. There's so much pressure on the way you look. You know, you look at these photographs of Jennifer Aniston, and then you compare that with the mirror, and you're like, let me just say this. Jennifer Aniston has one job. It's to look like Jennifer Aniston. 
She doesn't, she doesn't clean up after kids. She's got a stylist. She's got surgeons on the standby. She's got trainers and, and all of this other stuff, makeup people, everything. That's to keep her propped up looking like Jennifer Aniston. You got other things that are more weighty, like teaching children how to be human beings and, and being fit for the kingdom of God. You don't have to look. Let me give you this. Psalm 139, 14. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see that? Wonderful are your work. You need to just look. You ever look in the mirror and go, wonderful are your works. <laughs> God made you to look exactly like you're supposed to look. And the genetics and everything else that's going on in your life are exactly as God designed it. He loves the way you look. So stop creating this unrealistic comparison thing and then judging yourself. Look, he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Now look at the rest of that. What's it say? And my soul knows it very well. You're so valuable to God. The way you look, who you are, everything about you, that God sent his only son to die for you. Romans 5 eight. but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. You got that? And I heard a preacher one time say, God don't die for junk. And I heard another preacher saying, I think it's true. If you were the only person to ever live, Jesus would have still gone to the cross and died for you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Take that word world out and put your name in it. For God so loved Bill that he gave his only begotten son. He's not going to give his son to die for something that's worthless. You are enough. The cross was the final word on your worth. One last thing mama needs to know. Mama needs to know she can be restored. This is another area I sense a difference between men and women. Maybe it's just a difference between some people, but I feel it more acutely in women, the struggle with forgiveness. Maybe men are different because they compartmentalize. You have a big argument with your husband, and you know, an hour later he's wrapped up in some Czechoslovakian soccer match on television because there was nothing else to watch. And you know, you're like, how can you sit there and forget about what we just dealt with? Because he compartmentalizes. Some women do it too but they struggle with forgiveness. And women never stop dealing with This is especially true of sexual sin. The Bible says that's the hardest one to find forgiveness for. 1 Corinthians 6.18, run from sexual sin. No other sin is clearly so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And when you tie that to this concept of moral purity, which is an a totally appropriate way to understand it. But one of the things about purity that's happening is women feel this, this burden of that in a way that men often don't. And when there is a failure in that area, they feel impure. And it doesn't help sometimes what we might say to people in these conversations because we tend to reinforce that idea. 
I remember an evangelist one time talking about some young girls, and he says, look, some of you girls are, are under pressure for uh, being virgins and virginal. And, and he said, you need to tell them, I can become like you in 15 minutes, but you can never become like me again. And I get that, and I understand it. Well, what does it say about redemption, and what does it say about restoration? Let me show you something about the Bible. Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they're blood red, I will make them as white as snow. If you were a bag of laundry covered in scarlet stains, you're going to come out of that cross white as snow. That's what he's saying. Though they're red like crimson, I'll make them white as wool. He'll take your sin and he'll forgive it and wash it so thoroughly it will be as if it never happened. You are healed. You are whole. You are restored. You are pure. And you need to know that. Psalm 103, verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as east is from west. We live on a ball, so if you go east long enough, you're going to wind up west, right? And, and this gives the idea that I'm going to wind up meeting my sin somewhere in China, right? But God doesn't live on a ball. And for Him to say east and west, it's an eternal thing. It will never come back around again. In fact, Isaiah 43, 25, He says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. It's not that God can't remember. It's that He chooses not to recall. And so when you come back to Him again with that same old sin, God, I, the guilt is overwhelming, God. I've got this thing. Can you forgive me? He's like, what sin? What are you talking about? I've forgotten that. Because you're pure. Mama, you guys know a lot. Do you know that? Do you know you can be restored? Dads, young adults, you may not be a mama, a dad. You need to know that too. You can know what it means to be safe. God is your strong tower. You can know what it means to be enough. Christ died for you. And you can know what it means to be restored. Do you know what that means? Have you ever felt that? Why don't you let that happen right here, right now today? We saw people's lives being changed, and the expression of that is the baptistry. And in that moment of transformation, all of these things happen. Would you like for that to happen to you? If it's never happened, why not today? I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a minute, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray that prayer and just cry out to Jesus, God, I don't feel safe. God, I've never felt like I was enough. And God, I don't, I don't feel restored, and I need to know that I can be restored. You know, that can happen today. So let's pray a prayer. And let's ask God to do that in our life. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? And right now in this moment, would you just pray this prayer? Jesus, I'm just going to cry out to you. God, I don't feel safe. I, I've always struggled with significance and I never feel like I'm enough. And Father, I, I just struggle with regret and sin. And sometimes 
the regret I have is not even my own doing. It's what somebody else did to me. But Father, I just give you all of that. I lay that at your feet. I lay that at the cross. And I thank you for the restoration that comes through the power of forgiveness from Jesus alone. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.